0: ...on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. And then you rose him from the dead to conquer death for us. So I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us here, that we would trust in your son Jesus alone for salvation, that we would be of the true circumcision, that we would put no confidence in the flesh, that all our confidence would be in the Lord Jesus, that we would trust him and him alone for salvation and for guidance in daily living through the power... Of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word, and uh, we don't always understand your ways, Lord, but you ask imperfect people to preach your truth, your perfect word. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that you would remind everyone here that the final authority is uh, no person walking this planet right now. The final authority is God and his word. And so I pray that you'd open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word today, um, but that you would have us test all things, even what we hear today, with your word. I pray that your spirit would empower us to apply these truths to our lives. So that we could be of the true circumcision, so that we could be pleasing in your sight and obey you from the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of our King. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So chapter three talks about pressing on for King Jesus, but it starts out with uh, the true circumcision, that we are of the true circumcision. We put no confidence In the flesh. Some introductory remarks. Remember, Paul has been saying that he wants the Philippians to be humble, obedient servants of the Lord. He wants the Philippians to put the needs of others before their own. And Paul tells us that the ultimate example of humble service was the Lord Jesus, who left the throne room of the Father, became a man, and died on the cross for our sins, even the shameful death of crucifixion. Paul gives us a couple of examples of uh, godly servants, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, um, and so now Paul is going to tell the Philippians uh, to put no confidence in the flesh, and he's going to tell them to press on for Christ Jesus. Okay? And so... Um, so we're going to pick it up there, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. And he tells the Philippians, as he tells them numerous times in this letter, in this epistle, to rejoice in the Lord, okay? Um, we, can, we can have the joy of the Lord even in the midst of horrible circumstances. Uh, but you can't do that unless you really believe that Jesus Is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that no matter how bad your circumstances get, Jesus is still on the throne. And we can rejoice. Things are getting kind of crazy in America today and throughout the world, but Jesus is still King. Okay? So, you know, later on in this chapter, Paul's gonna remind us we're citizens of heaven. You um, You know, most of us acknowledge, oh, we're citizens of America. Um, maybe some of us will even admit we're citizens of Washington State, and maybe even a few will admit that we're citizens of Bremerton or Silverdale or whatever it is. Ultimately, our citizenship is in heaven. We have a good king. Last I heard, he's still in charge. He's still on the throne. Now, when he comes off the throne, his enemies are going to wish he was still on the throne because when he comes off the throne, he's going to rescue his people but he's going to bring judgment down on those uh, who oppose him, oppose his ways, and oppose his people. So Paul tells us in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And so he's kind of, he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord, um, I'm going to give you some warnings about some things that are coming down and all, but just rejoice in the Lord. Even though you've heard me say that time and time again, you've heard me talk about the false teachers time and time again, okay? Um, Listen, uh, we all need to be reminded of basic truth, okay? I used to like uh, Pastor Sheffield, used to be uh, the Baptist minister at uh, Clear Creek Baptist Church, the guy was like in his late 80s, and every time he quoted John 3.16, he would pull a handkerchief out because a tear would just roll down his cheek, and he'd wipe it. And um, so sometimes you might say, oh, Pastor Phil's, you know, preaching on the gospel message again, or he's preaching on, against false teachers again. Oh, and this, hey, look, if I'm preaching the word, it makes us safe to hear God's truths over and over and over again, okay? And um, you don't spend a lot of time with the truth. What are you going to do, spend a lot of time with heresies and errors? But he tells them, rejoice in the Lord. God does not command us to have feelings. So joy is a choice, okay? And... um, We've had so many godly brothers and sisters that have gone on to be with the Lord over the last um, 34 years. And, um, you know, I would go to try to encourage suffering saints. And I'd always prepare something to share with them. And I'd go and they had the joy of the Lord, not me. They encouraged me. I'd go to hear the sermons of suffering saints. And that's what we need. Whether days are good or bad, we've got to rejoice in the Lord, and we need to heed Paul's warnings about false teachers. So he says, beware of the false teachers in verse 2. Beware of dogs. Okay, um, there's kind of a sense where, um, where Paul is kind of like the Donald Trump of preachers. Um, he wasn't, uh, of course, back then, people had thicker skin. You can call somebody a name, and they don't, they don't curl up into a fetal position and start crying. And um, um, so we got really soft skin in, uh, in America today. But Paul, man, he just comes right out with, you know, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now, he's talking about Jews who profess to be Christians, but they're telling Gentiles, non-Jews, you cannot be saved by Jesus unless first you get circumcised and become a Jew. you got to convert to Judaism. Then you could accept the Jewish Messiah as your Savior. So, and now obviously, um, circumcision, the removal of the the foreskin, you know, very painful... um, Uh, medical procedure, that's probably why they did it on the eighth day. And uh, if you were an adult and you converted to Judaism, as an adult, if you were a male, you'd have to get circumcised. So it could be very painful. But Paul's saying circumcision outside of God's will, circumcising Gentiles who are not Jews so that they can then become saved through faith in Jesus. That's a false gospel. So he calls it the mutilation. In Galatians, he said, he went so far to say, hey, look, if you want to get circumcised, you might as well go get emasculated. This is some, some pretty strong language, okay? Um, but whatever the case, now the, Jewish, the Jews back then, they were very thick-skinned, as were the Gentiles, they had argued left and right, and, uh, and so arguing against the man wasn't necessarily a logical fallacy like it's considered today. Today, we've got to be real nice to people and make sure we only attack their views. Now, by the way, the people that say that the most are the people that will attack you the most anyway. So we live in cancel culture, so wrong is right and right is wrong. But he says, beware of false teachers. He calls them the dogs and the mutilation, and they want Gentiles to be circumcised. You see, for Paul, that Paul's making it clear that's a false gospel. If you're saying well, you need to be saved by trusting in Jesus plus by getting circumcised and converting to Judaism. No. Anytime you say, well, you need to be saved through faith in Jesus plus something else, Paul says that's a false gospel. The whole book of Galatians was written to refute this heresy. You can see it throughout the book of Acts, how this heresy was spreading and how did the Jerusalem Council? They had to get the big-wig apostles from all over the world to come to Jerusalem to decide this issue. And um, they decided, no, Gentiles don't have to convert to Judaism. And uh, they can just trust in Jesus for salvation and be saved. And then if they would stop doing these two or three things that really gross out the Jews, we can actually fellowship with them and be one church. Okay? A church that is, that is Jew and Gentile and um, and united in Christ. So he says, beware of the false teachers. Now, verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. I like the translations that really capture the meaning of the so circumcision there is like we are the true circumcision because Paul's differentiating between the true circumcision and the false one. So literally, it's for we are the circumcision, but the idea that Paul's bringing forth is we, For we are the true circumcision. And how does he define the true circumcision? Who worship God in the spirit, that's number one. Number two, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And number three, have no confidence in the flesh. So he defines the true circumcision. It's my hope and my prayers, as the pastor of Trinity Bible Fellowship that we would be of the true circumcision. That we would be true believers, true followers of Christ. Okay, if we're of the true true circumcision, we worship God in the spirit, not the flesh. See, the circumcision was like saying, "Hey, look, you know, you don't have a surgical procedure performed on your flesh; you're not going to heaven." And it's like, no, no, no. We we worship God in the spirit. The the God had a specific plan for Israel and had to keep Israel as his chosen nation separate from the pagan nations. Otherwise, otherwise, our Bibles today, if the Jews weren't separate enough from the other nations, it would have been ten times as big. It would have had the Tibetan Book of the Dead in there. It would have had all kinds of false Egyptian and false Canaanite gods and goddesses. And, and so to ensure that the Jews remain true. He did not allow the Jews to marry pagan Gentiles, and he kept the Jews separate from the others. I told my students that if, if, um, if Jesus were to come today, you know, I'm not talking about the second coming, but if instead of coming 2,000 years ago, his first coming, if he came today, he would probably have to say something like... Um, uh, For my chosen people to be ready for me when I come, uh, you can't uh, go on social media. Okay? Because back then, eating food was like the equivalent of social media today. If you were gonna fellowship with somebody, sit down, you're gonna break bread with them, you're gonna have food with them. Well, the Jews might, you know, they might bump into a Gentile in the Old Testament and say, man, I really like to go out to lunch with this guy, but I can't eat this, that, this i got to stay away from that. And so it kept the Jews separate. And circumcision was the sign of that covenant, okay? But now the gospel's going to all nations. So the idea that to be a Christian, you got to trust in Jesus, plus adhere to the Old Testament Jewish law, which is what circumcision introduces you to, Paul says, no, that's a false gospel. So we worship God in the spirit, not the flesh. Even Jesus told this to the Samaritan woman. In fact, why don't we look at that in John chapter 4. It's not in your notes. John chapter 4. This is when, he, when Jesus offers the Samaritan woman, the Jews didn't even talk to the Samaritans. That's a whole other story there. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And starting in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Because he realized that he knew about her sins. He supernaturally knew about her sins. And she said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. They they built an alternative temple because they weren't even allowed in the court of the Gentiles at the Jewish temple. The Jews hated the the Samaritans. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's really, she's making a statement, but she's really asking a question. She's saying, look, we worship on this mountain because we're not allowed in the temple. You Jews worship in a temple. Who's right? Okay? Jesus said to her, woman, I, woman believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You, you Samaritans, worship what you do not know because God never told them to build an alternative temple. We know, we the Jews know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. They really had God's word and God really did command them uh, to build the temple. Then Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, that's the true circumcision right there, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth and so jesus is saying you don't have to get circumcised you don't have to go to the temple in jerusalem you can god is omnipresent you can worship god wherever you are as long as you worship him in spirit from the depths of your being and in accordance with the the power of the holy spirit and in truth, in accordance with the truth that God has revealed to mankind. So if we're the true circumcision, we must worship God in the spirit, not the flesh, okay? You know, so I don't think we need, like, you know, Christian yoga, okay? If you want to stretch and relax, that's fine. Don't call it yoga. That's, um, that means divine with the non-personal force, God. Of, of Eastern religions, of, of Hinduism, if you want to stretch and relax, that's, those are good things. But don't say, i got to get my body, i got to twist my body into a certain position in order to worship God. Worshiping God is from the spirit. Um, it's not of the flesh. You don't need to get circumcised. Um, so the true circumcision, worship God in the spirit, not the flesh. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. You rejoice in him and his salvation. Okay? Don't be, I don't know what to call him, but don't be a Jesus pluser. Don't say, I, I trust in Jesus for salvation, plus I trust in Jesus plus something else. I trust in Jesus plus Sigmund Freud to be saved. I trust in Jesus plus my own works, or I trust in Jesus plus this organization, okay? No, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, Jesus the Jewish Messiah, alone for salvation. This is why Jesus said, with all the heavy burdens of the law, the Jews would get circumcised, they'd get introduced to the law with all these technicalities, over 600 laws. That was burdensome from the Jews, and so many of the people were saying, I don't have time to do all the ceremonial washings. I don't have time to, to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. I have to work for a living and take care of my family. I guess I'm going to hell. And the Pharisees just kept adding conditions. And that's when Jesus looked at them and said, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Okay? I have to admit, that's, that's, that's way too simple for most people. I used to share John 3.16 with my mom. and She said, ah, that sounds good, but it's just too simple. So she always thought she had to contribute. She had to do something to earn salvation. I'm hoping and praying that she got saved on her deathbed the last chance I had to witness to her, um, but Jesus said, "Come to me, all the weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest from all these technicalities. And circumcision of the flesh introduces you to all the technicalities. The strict diet and all. By the way, if you don't eat pork, because your doctor tells you you keep eating pork, you're going to die." If you, don't eat, if you have a specific diet because of either you don't like the taste of this or the taste of that, or it's for your health, that's fine. But don't let anybody fool you that your diet is going to earn your way into heaven versus somebody else's diet that's going to destine them for hell. Okay? We trust in Jesus the Jewish Messiah, alone for salvation. Okay? This is why Paul in Colossians 2.10 says, that after, after saying, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, right in verse 10, right after that, it says, you are complete in Christ. Oh, wait a minute, though. Don't have to do this, don't have to do that. You're complete in Christ. You need to obey the Lord. Okay? But you're, you're already saved when you say, okay, I'm complete in Christ. I don't need anything but Jesus to be saved. But he does command me to get baptized. He does command me to fellowship with, with other Christians. But you're not doing that. not part of salvation. You're not saved by Jesus plus something else. If you think you're saved by Jesus plus something else, you are not part of the true circumcision. Okay? Only true believers who are trusting in Jesus alone for salvation are of the true circumcision. We worship God in the Spirit, and we rejoice in Christ Jesus, Jesus the Jewish Messiah. We rejoice in his salvation, and we recognize that he is all we need to be saved. Now, does that change anything? It changes everything. It changes the way you're going to live your life, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you treat people, but the fact of the matter is you're only trusting in the Lord Jesus to save you. Those of the circumcision they're trusting in Jesus plus their flesh. Circumcision in the flesh but also human self-effort. I've got to help Jesus save me. It's that kind of attitude Uh, but but, but, uh, here Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. We don't trust in our own righteousness. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now we have freedom in Christ. That's why we don't, get, we don't have to say, well, you gotta, you got to put yourself under the Old Testament law to be saved. No, we have freedom in Christ. But don't allow your freedom to lead you into sin. Okay? We'll be talking about that in just a, a minute, how to not have confidence in the flesh. But in Romans 3, verses 20 to 23, Paul says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. No flesh will be declared righteous in God's sight, for by the law is the conscious of sin consciousness of sin, the knowledge of sin. See, the law was never intended to save us. The law, the law was intended to show us God's holy standards and our inability to keep them. So the law was intended to show us that we need a savior. The law was a substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. No one's justified by the deeds of the law. Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament predicted Jesus would come. And here's that righteousness of God apart from the law. Even the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference, no distinction for all have sinned and falls short of the glory of God. So he's saying, look, the righteousness of God can only be attained through faith in Jesus, and that's to all, not, not just the circumcised, and not just the uncircumcised, but whether circumcised or uncircumcised, it's for all who believe, and that's the gospel message, is trusting in Jesus for salvation. So we don't trust in our own uh, righteousness, okay. Righteousness of the flesh and our self-effort. We only trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We only trust in the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. Look at Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. That says, "For he." That's God the Father, made him, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is why in Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6, a prediction of the, the branch of David, the coming Messiah, Jesus is called Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our Righteousness. Okay, You realize if you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, you have perfect righteousness. By the way, you can't get to heaven without perfect righteousness. But perfect righteousness has been given to you as a gift. Jesus' perfect righteousness. Now, in the meantime, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, we become more and more righteous. We become more and more uh, like Jesus, but the fact of the matter is God demands perfection to get into heaven. You weren't perfect when you got saved, and you're not perfect right now. Okay? Until the resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns and transforms our bodies, our mortal bodies, into immortal bodies, because God, God's not just working on your soul and your spirit. God's got to work on your body, too. So if if you died right now and your spirit went to be with the Lord, God would still not be finished with you. Because you got a rotting corpse that God still has to transform. That mortal body, that body capable of death, has to be transformed into the image of God's Son, that resurrection body. By the way, we don't preach much about the resurrection anymore. People don't even realize The, the three main theistic religions... The three Western religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all preach the resurrection of the body. But today, the preaching in our church has has gotten so mushy that most Christians today probably believe in something close to um, Plato, the Greek pagan philosopher, his, his doctrine of the immortality of the soul. So the whole goal is for the soul to escape the body, and then you'll live forever and ever as... Uh, a non-material soul. That's not biblical. The Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians all look forward to a future bodily resurrection. Now, by the way, if you don't know Jesus, you'll be resurrected, but not to life. Okay? And so we need to pray, pray for and witness to Jews and to Muslims. Um. But there will be a future bodily resurrection uh, where our mortal bodies will put on immortality. They'll be the same bodies, but transformed and changed. I actually believe they're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought. I don't think Jesus was just, like, going through walls. Like, I don't think he was outside the upper room, looked around, made sure nobody's looking, and floated up and seeped into the wall and popped out the other side and appeared to the apostles... I think more than more than likely he was probably at the Father's right hand, and he said, "Okay, I want to be in the upper room." Boom, he's there. Okay, and uh, Jesus appeared over a period of forty days, but it looked like he was only appearing on Sundays. We think he was hiding under a canoe the rest of the time, and um, that's why he told Mary Magdalene, who was clinging to him on Easter Sunday, "You know, he's got another forty days before he ascends to heaven." She's clinging to him on Easter Sunday. And he said, let go of me, because I haven't ascended to my father. He wasn't expecting her to hold him for 40 days. I think he was just saying, uh, on this schedule, I'm supposed to be in my father's presence in seconds. And you're going to do a face plant if you're, if you're hugging me and I disappear. And, uh, but when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is, the scriptures tell us. So... Um, so we're going to receive our, our resurrection body someday. But we, we don't trust in our own righteousness. We trust in the righteousness of, of Christ. Okay? We are of the true circumcision. Look what Paul says in Romans 2, 28 and 29. See, on, on the judgment day, it's going to all be about the righteousness of Christ. So when I'm standing there on a judgment day, if I'm trusting in Jesus for salvation, and I'm standing there on a judgment day, God the Father is going to look at me, and he's going to see the righteousness of Christ. Because I didn't trust in my own righteousness. I trusted in Jesus and his righteousness. And so I get entrance into heaven. But somebody like Mahatma Gandhi, or Muhammad, who wants to stand on a judgment day in his own righteousness, their righteousness, or lack thereof, is going to be measured against the righteousness of Christ. You're going to fall short. Okay? Um, We are not, this should not be news to anybody here, we are not everything that God has called us to be. We have not perfectly served God from the second we were conceived in our mother's womb until now. Okay? But that's the kind of righteousness that God demands. Only Jesus has that kind of righteousness. If you're of the true circumcision, you don't trust your own righteousness and say, look at me, I'm circumcised, and I obey the law through my own strength. No, if you're of the true circumcision, you trust in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and not any supposed righteousness of your own. Look, Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew. So now he's talking about the true Jews, the true spiritual Jews, not physical Jews and physical Gentiles. He's talking about who is, a really, who is really a true follower of the Lord. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is is outward in the flesh. See, circumcision in the flesh is supposed to be symbolic of inward circumcision of the heart. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit when he regenerates you, gives you the new birth. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay? So, even even if Jews get circumcised outwardly, that's not going to get them to heaven. They still need to also be circumcised in the heart. And Gentiles, it's not required for Gentiles to get circumcised, not for religious reasons. But, If we're circumcised in the heart, we're saved. Okay? And uh, it's just like water baptism. Do you know what water baptism will accomplish for an awful lot of people? It will send them to hell wet. Okay? If you're not trusting in Jesus for salvation, uh, getting dunked isn't going to give you eternal life. Now, if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you better get baptized if you're not baptized. Okay? I, I hear a lot of people, a lot of new believers saying, well, you know, I don't have to go to church to be saved, so I'm not going to go to church. Um, I don't have to get ba- baptism. Water baptism doesn't say, so I don't have to get baptized to be saved. And what, what they're saying is, like, Jesus is not my Lord. He's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Let me tell you something. If Jesus isn't your Lord, I doubt he's your Savior. I mean, what kind of deal did you sign with Jesus? I believe you're the God of the universe. You created the entire universe. I believe I deserve the flames of hell, but you saved me, and you can be my Savior, but I'm not going to let you be my Lord? Come on, who are you lying to? You know, if, um, if somebody came up here and said, Pastor Phil, I love you. And I tell them, wow, that's great. It's great to be loved. All oh, humans need to be loved. That's a good thing. And then I turn my back on them, and they hit me in the back of the head with a shovel. <laughs> what would you say? You wouldn't say, that's amazing. That guy loved Pastor Phil, and then he stopped loving him right away. You wouldn't say that. You'd say, you know what you'd say? That guy was lying through his teeth. How many of us? I hope nobody. How many of us are lying through our teeth? We say we love Jesus, but we do the things he says not to do, and we don't do the things he says to do. There's a whole lot of us hitting Jesus with a shovel, telling others, I love Jesus. Do we really? Do we really? You know, Jesus even said, look, you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. Doesn't mean you have to forgive others to be saved, but it means if you really are saved, you're gonna be so grateful for being forgiven, you're gonna have a forgiving heart. Okay? We gotta stop playing games with Jesus. Remember, Paul said, work out your salvation, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you. So stop playing games uh, with, with Jesus. Now, yeah, so we're the true circumcision. Now, a lot, of the, a lot of the Gentiles who read the Hebrew Scriptures and Jews who obviously read the Hebrew Scriptures, a lot of them would say, wow, that, that Paul is such an innovator. He's coming up with all these new teachings. Paul always showed that the teachings, that when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he got saved... um. He had three days of blindness where he got to rethink the way he was interpreting the Old Testament. He always interpreted the Old Testament in a a law-centered way, looking for technicalities. When he met Jesus on the road to the Mass, when when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, that's literally a come-to-Jesus moment, okay? That's like, ouch, I've got like the entire Old Testament memorized, and I've been misinterpreting it. And so he had three days of blindness where he got to think about, okay, these passages. The focus isn't on the law of the Lord; the focus is on the Lord. Okay, I mean, look at King, he uses King David as an example. First, he used Abraham in Romans chapter four. Abraham. God credited him to him as righteousness when he first believed, before he got circumcised. So he was saved before he got circumcised. So he's the father of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And then Paul in Romans 4 uses King David. King David loved God's law. But when you're guilty of adultery and murder, and you're the king of Israel, are you going to turn to the law? The law says you should be stoned to death twice. So he's like, wow, I'm not going to trust in God's law. I'd have to order my subjects to stone me to death. So instead, what did he do? He turned to God for mercy. Okay? And um, so Paul's teaching is not, you know, it's, it's like all this true circumcision stuff. This is all uh, New Testament stuff. You won't find it in the Old Testament. No, Paul knew the Old Testament, but once you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, it makes it easier to properly interpret the Old Testament. So look at Deuteronomy, the last book of Moses, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. And... God is speaking through Moses, telling the people, look, if you mess up and you're unfaithful to me, and you go into captivity in some pagan nation, and then you cry out and then God forgives you and brings you back, okay? He says this, verse six, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So, inward heart circumcision is not just a New Testament teaching. It was there from the start. But what did the Jews do? They focused on the outward things, like circumcision, and outwardly obeying God's laws. And before we shake our heads and say, wow, those Jews really messed up, what do we Christians do? under the new covenant, we're still focusing on the out, outward things. You know? I mean, it's it just, uh, it, it, it's to the point we might, you know, some of us probably wouldn't even listen to a preacher because the guy don't look like a preacher. You know I mean? Test what he's saying. It's just like, no, he do not look like a uh Preacher. You know, he looks like a, a thug or whatever. And um, no, we can't, we got to, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. God told that to Samuel the prophet when he was about to anoint King David, the ne- next king of Israel. And so you want to be circumcised? You get circumcised, but you get circumcised at the heart. You trust in Jesus for salvation. The Holy Spirit regenerates you and then you're of the true circumcision. But you don't proclaim a salvation of Jesus plus something else. So we are the true circumcision. We put no confidence in the flesh. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about practical issues here. Uh, We have freedom in Christ. You don't have to use your freedom in Christ you got to preach the true gospel and preach now that we're saved, not under the, the Old Testament ceremonial commands and, and things of that sort, but they, don't abuse your freedom in Christ, okay? And um, it, this is why Job in the Old Testament said that he's, trained his, he's made a vow with his eyes not to look upon a virgin. So Job was the kind of guy, he might be walking down the street and he might walk into the side of a building because some young ladies are coming by, and he's just saying, No, um, I'm of the true circumcision. I cannot put confidence in the flesh. My, my wife and I, I deeply love my wife. She deeply loves me. But we build, we, you know, we, we pray in the Our Father, lead us not into temptation. And then what do humans, we, we Christians, do? We run full speed to the edge of a cliff, and if we fall off the edge, we say, God, why did you lead me into this? Okay? So, um, so when the Bible gives us commands about, you know, forbids us to sexual immorality, it, it's not our job to get as close as we could possibly get. Okay? And then cry out to God... Uh, we ought to build, I think, perimeters around our lives. I don't counsel the ladies ladies alone. Okay, um, I don't go out to eat with a with a lady. Me just me and a lady. Other than my my wife, my my daughter. I don't think my daughter would want to go out to eat with me anymore. She thinks I'm I'm not not cool enough. But, um, uh, and so we set up our own little. We have freedom in Christ. We set up our own little list of rules. Uh, When we go to New Jersey, great beaches in New Jersey. Some are warm beaches, where lots of young people walk around almost completely naked. We don't go there. You know, Wildwood, with amusement park and everything, a lot of mostly naked people walking around. We don't go to Wildwood. Right next to it is Cape May. Cape May, the water's too cold. If there's anybody in the water, it's some guy, he's about that, that big, some guy on a surfboard wearing a frogman suit. The, for some reason, the water's just so cold. So the only thing you see are senior citizens walking on the beach holding hands. And so from the time we were in our 20s, my bride and I would walk on the beach there, okay? Now, am I saying that's where you gotta draw the line? You go to a hotel, they got a pool, and there's young people wearing really small bathing so you can't go there. And stuff. I'm, not tell, I'm not telling that to you, but what I'm saying is don't put any confidence in the flesh. Also, by the way, David, God called David a man after God's own heart. God loved his pure heart. I'm not saying don't put confidence in the flesh in areas of your weaknesses, that's that's a no-brainer. I'm also saying don't put confidence in your flesh where you think you're strong. Cause it's where we think we're strong. Okay? That's where we could be brought down. Okay? And um so uh so build those hedges of protection. Um before I was a Christian, uh, uh you know, we used to guys used to like to get drunk and and start fights and do all kinds of stupid stuff. it's not a sin it's not a sin if you feel like having like a a, a glass of wine every few times a week and you're not going to be driving or have a, a a beer every other night and you're not going to be driving. It's, it's not a sin. Uh, i just I just say, "Hey, you know, I have freedom in Christ. I'm not going to exercise that freedom, okay? Because uh, you know. There might be some guy coming out of a partying lifestyle that is thinking about coming to Christ, and then he goes to Red Robin and he sees Pastor Phil down in a beer. Oh, it's okay for me to drink, okay? I don't want to be a stumbling block to others, okay? So don't put any confidence in the flesh. Um, Lucky, Lucky, Leslie, Lucky, and Vel—they were um, outlaw bikers but christians a lot of people don't understand it, it, to be an outlaw biker club means you didn't register with the American Motorcycle Association and so all the outlaw bikers they don't even if they don't break any laws if they didn't register they're outlaw and so christian bikers were having a hard time ministering to these guys cuz they didn't respect bikers who were registered with the American Motorcycle Association. So, uh, so some guy came out, was an outlaw biker, I don't know if he was with the Hells Angels or the Banditos or the Hombres. He it comes to Christ, so he starts Christ's Disciples and doesn't register with the American Motorcycle Association. They have a very strict moral code. Every club has their own code, mostly immoral, but this outlaw biker uh, code was very strict. So um, uh, so they were allowed into the clubs, and whenever, they, whenever these outlaw clubs, if the banditos were going to do something immoral, they would ask the, uh, uh, the Christ disciples, they'd tell them what we're going to do, and you guys want to wait out in the cold, we should be done in an hour. And so they'd wait out in the cold. Every once in a while, they'd walk up to lucky Leslie, who he used to I think he used to run with the hell's angels. Uh, lucky before he became a Christian, but they'd walk up and they'd grab his drink from him. And they'd sniff it and they'd take a sip and see it's just orange juice and they'd give it back to him. Because that's the rules of Christ's disciples. If you're not being consistent with those, they could take you out back and put a whooping on you. Anyway, every, uh, once a year they would go on this run with all the outlaw bikers. And they didn't dress the right way. And there was a lot, you know, and I, so for two reasons, I, I used to, when they used to invite me, I used to tell them no. Number one, cause I'm not, I'm not a biker and I don't want to pretend to be, you know, what am I going to do? Show up with a moped and, um, and, um, hey, how's it going guys? You know, um, that, that that's not going to fly. You know, I'll stick out like a, like a sore thumb. And then, but then number two, um, Build that hedge of protection and realize I praise God that God's calling some people to reach outlaw bikers. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them, you know? Now I I can find common ground with other people or go go boxing, you know? And I could really relate to guys, not so much because I hit people but because I, I know what it's like to get hit. I do that on a pretty regular basis. And I can find some common ground but whatever the case, if, if you put no confidence in the flesh, there's going to be some things that the Spirit of God is going to say, you know, Phil, I might call John to do that, but not you. And, um, but really think about some boundaries. When a guy and a gal get married, think about some boundaries. Don't think about, well, this is sin. Think about, well, this over here could lead me down to that path of sin so I'm going to stop here so I don't even get close to this okay when, when some people hear about all the all the little voluntary rules that me and my wife have you know they, they act like boy you must be a really sinful person to have all those little rules those little personal rules that you don't you don't force on anybody else You know, you must be a real sinful person. And what they don't understand is um, if you're going to be of the true circumcision, you're supposed to put no confidence in the flesh. Okay? There's people who actually say, I put no confidence in the flesh. And then they're out there counseling people on a regular basis um, from the opposite sex. And... It's like, look. I'll I'll counsel ladies, but I'll counsel ladies with my wife at my side. And if my wife's not feeling well, I get on the phone and call John and say, "Hey, is Kim busy? Have Kim counsel this lady." Um, We got to put no confidence in the flesh. Um, I think I allow myself to watch three mafia movies: Godfather One, Godfather Two, and uh, A Bronx Tale. Because it reminds me of my... Brings back good memories of my Italian culture and growing up with the Italians and my mom's side of the family. But there's also some stuff that could, could flare up the old man. You know, the attitude that, um, you know, uh, you mess with me or one of my people, you disappear type of, type of thing. And it's just like, that's not good. That's not wholesome. And... Um, So build some, you know, so... You know, uh, according to New York and New Jersey reporters, The Sopranos is a series based on my mother's cousin and his crew. Yet, I never allowed myself to watch that show. And Now, if you watch The Sopranos, am I going to stand in judgment on you in a gray area? No. But you got to put no confidence in the flesh... And it's like, look, um, if I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm going to be faithful to him, um, I need to draw the line here, not here, okay? If I'm going to marry this lady, I need to draw the line here, not here, okay? We should always protect that which is precious to us, our marriages, our families, Isn't your walk with the Lord, isn't that precious to you? So don't put any confidence in the flesh. And, um, you know, too often we, you know, we just have this arrogance. We put that confidence in the flesh. Look at what Paul says in verses 4 to 6. Philippians 3, 4 to 6. So he says that we're the true circumcision we put no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the, uh, circumcised the eighth day. He was circumcised the eighth day, which what the law requires. Of the stock of Israel, he's, he's a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he still knew his tribal affiliation. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He could read Hebrew. He could speak Hebrew. He could preach in Hebrew. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. So he was a Jewish rabbi that taught in the synagogues. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He said, I was so zealous for God that when I thought Christians, when I thought Jesus wasn't the Jewish Messiah and Christians were heretics, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul said, look, you know, you want to brag in the flesh? I can brag in the flesh. By the way, I I can't. I have a hard time relating to this. Because uh, when I think of who I was before Jesus, it's just like one failure after another. And I might have I done a good job pretending that I was somebody cool. But my whole life, everything I try to accomplish, you say, Okay, that one. Let me check the loser box. Uh, Check the loser box. Check the loser box. Okay? Uh, Paul was extremely successful living outside of Christ. Tremendous accomplishments. Even as a Pharisee, he was a young man who was trained by Gamaliel. He had... The, the most famous rabbi of that day, the greatest teacher of Israel in the eyes of, of Jews who didn't come to Jesus, obviously the, two, the three greatest Jewish rabbis who ever lived, Jesus of Nazareth, and he happens to be God in the flesh, John the Baptist, and, and then the apostle Paul. And only one of them was a fully accredited rabbi. That was Paul. And then he probably lost that accreditation when he came to Christ. And um, so he had a lot that he could break. So you, you want to brag in the flesh about accomplishments, what you did in your own strength and human effort? I got lots of things I could brag about. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. I wasn't a Sadducee, a temple priest. I was a Pharisee, a Jewish rabbi, even trained by Gamaliel. I was zealous enough to persecute the church I was outwardly blameless in regards to the law. So Paul had a lot to brag about. Next week we're going to see that Paul said, I, he counted all of those accomplishments as rubbish, as trash, next to coming to Jesus. Okay? And, um, and we'll close with Matthew chapter 5, verses 20. Paul could say that he was outwardly blameless when it comes to the law, He was obeying every technicality outwardly. Other Jewish rabbis would look at him and say, man, that guy is squared away. He's got it all together. Listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus emphasizes obeying God from the heart, which is something we could only do if we're born again through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit resides in us. Matthew 5, verse 20 Jesus says, for I say to you that unless, unless your righteousness exceeds, surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is, even if you're circumcised, even if you outwardly obey God's commands, so that people, you know, you could spy on this guy. You could have spied on Paul uh, 24-7 and you wouldn't find him outwardly doing anything dis- disobeying God's laws. And you know, God's word says that's not good enough. God only accepts an obedience that comes from the heart. Okay? And guess what? Our hearts are so deceitful. The only way we can obey God from the heart is if we're born again and the Holy Spirit indwells us. God only accepts that which is initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And um, so how can our righteousness, the people that were listening to Jesus would be like, man, I know some righteous Pharisees. How can our righteousness exceed or surpass that of the Pharisees and scribes? You know how? You got to be circumcised of the heart. You got to have the true circumcision. And you put no confidence in the flesh. As the pastor of Trinity Bible Fellowship, it's my prayer that we would be of the true circumcision. We would put no confidence in the flesh, we would put all our confidence in King Jesus the Jewish Messiah, God the Son, become a man. Our God, our Savior, the Jewish Messiah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, become a man. I put my confidence in Jesus. You know, the Bill Gates of this world, the President Bidens of this world, the Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, the UN and... They try to intimidate us, this and that and everything. And it's just like, look, you want to kill me, kill me. You want to push me around, you push me around. But I'm not impressed. Because I put no confidence in the flesh. I put no confidence in my flesh. And I put no confidence in your flesh either. Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab. I put my confidence in Jesus. So there's nothing you can do to me that's going to shake my confidence in King Jesus. And he will. He will return and make things right. So in the meantime, let's be of the true circumcision and put no confidence in the flesh. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for the people that are here today that want want you. They love you, and they love your word, your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be of the true circumcision, that you would help us to be true believers who are born again, and we put no confidence in, in the flesh. Help us to put all our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ so that through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit we can be all that you called us to be for your glory and to build your kingdom. Help us to live for you and not to live for ourselves. Help us to be of the true circumcision. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you everybody. Have a great week.